This episode of The Minimalists is 100% advertisement-free. So if you'd like to help support the podcast, you can always visit theminimalists.com slash donate. Enjoy the show. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Minimalists Podcast, where we talk about living a meaningful life with less, less stuff, less stress, less debt and discontent and overwhelm and anxiety and a whole lot more meaning. I'm Joshua Fields Milburn, and in a minute you'll hear from Ryan Nicodemus as well. This is another special quickie episode of The Minimalists, although it's a fairly long quickie episode, but it's just a a bit different from our our traditional episodes. We wanted to get this one out to you today because it is a Tuesday that it is posting, and that's why the title of this episode, which is episode number six, by the way, the title of this episode is Tuesdays. You see, for the last couple months, Ryan and I have had a ton of fun doing something called Tuesdays with The Minimalists, where basically we get on to Twitter and Periscope for about an hour, a little less than an hour, and just answer a bunch of random questions from people live in a live setting. It's very informal. It's very impromptu. You can pretty much ask whatever you want, and we try to answer those questions to the best of our ability. So it's more like questions and attempted answers because, you know, my my favorite pedagogical technique is if I don't know the answer to your question, I'll just, I'll still answer it, but I'll just provide a different answer. I'll answer a different question and, and so you can ask whatever you want on Tuesdays with us. And we wanted to kind of give you a sample of that. A few weeks ago, we recorded one of our episodes of Tuesdays with the Minimalists and really enjoyed it. Had a lot of great questions, a lot of great interactions. So today's broadcast is a, uh, is a rebroadcast of that if you missed it or if you just wanted a refresher. The thing about Periscope is that those videos delete after 24 hours, which I really like the ephemeral nature of that. But we wanted to save one in sort of a time capsule form and share it here on the podcast. If you want to join us on future Tuesdays, I'm pretty sure we'll be doing it for a while, at least until our documentary comes out. It's every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Twitter and Periscope. You can just find us over there. All the details, by the way, are on our blog over at theminimalists.com slash Tuesdays. Oh, and uh, by the way, uh, speaking of our documentary, we have a tour. We're going to 14 different cities uh, with our documentary in May, and we'd love to see you there. So all the details are at theminimalists.com slash tour. You can also help bring the documentary to your city. It's screening in hundreds of cities at this point, but you can, you can find a screening and get your tickets, or you can request a screen, bring the documentary to your city as well. Just go to minimalismfilm.com slash watch. Or if you just go to minimalismfilm.com, click on see the film. All the details are there. And if you are outside of the United States, don't worry. We are planning a theatrical release in Canada and Australia. We're also working on overseas distribution for elsewhere. So stay tuned for that. And of course, wherever we don't go, well, we'll have a worldwide online release of the film after the theatrical run. Uh, One last quick update. On February 7th, 2016, I'm doing a one-day or a two-hour online workshop, writing workshop for my uh, How to Write Better class. You can get all the details on that over at howtowritebetter.org. Um, I wanted to make that free, but I had to end up charging 20 bucks so we could pay for the, the webinar software, and I also wanted to make sure that we paid my adjunct professor, Sean Mahalik. But if you can't afford the 20 bucks, don't worry. Uh, you can get a one-day scholarship. You can just email sean at howtowritebetter.org, and he uh, can try to set you up with a, a one-day scholarship. If you have questions for future episodes of the podcast, call us at 406-219-7839. We have a bunch of questions we're going to be answering in the upcoming weeks. Or you can ask us a question on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter using the hashtag AskTheMinimalist. 
minimalists. That's all I got right now. I really hope you enjoy this broadcast of Tuesdays with the minimalists. Enjoy. Welcome to Tuesday with the minimalists. We are just as excited to be here. What kind of questions do you guys have? We, you know, usually we just kind of like rattle off questions from Twitter and from Instagram, which we'll, we can still do, but uh, we kind of want to answer some live questions. Uh, yes. Anything y'all want to, you want to know? You want to know whether Josh wears boxes or briefs? Trick question. He doesn't wear underwear. Minimalism. <laughs> heart, 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 heart. All right. Oh, love I love the podcast. Uh, how are you guys liking it? Loving it so far. We just came from, uh, we recorded our third episode. This one's about children. And, yes. And, uh, man, I, I became sort of a, a parent by proxy uh, last year. Um, my partner, Rebecca Bex, she has a two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, and I am learning so much, and we're able to sort of share our lessons from that. Can I be a minimalist about, uh, but still have options? No, you can't have any options. No, next question. No, of course you can't. That's I mean, what minimalism is th- about. It's about finding the, the it's about finding the important options. Absolutely. You know, it's funny. Someone on one of our periscopes said something like, uh, oh, these guys aren't minimalists. They didn't give up anything important. And I would agree with that person uh, on the latter point that, no, we did not give up anything important. And that's exactly what minimalism is. It's about uh, curating your life and, and having a very well edited life. So, yeah, I would say that minimalism gives you way more options. I saw a question pop up. Or way about, better options. Way better options, yeah. Yeah, amen. Yeah, absolutely. I saw a question pop up about family. Uh, if you go to the minimalists.com forward slash family, uh, there's a really good uh, essay that we wrote there uh, speaking to that question of what do I do if my family uh, doesn't want to take on these minimalist principles or they like to hoard stuff. Um, there, there's some really good advice there. Yeah, we, we interviewed a bunch of uh, minimalist families for our documentary. Uh, two that really stand out to me are Joshua Becker and Leo Babalta. We have some resources for them if you go to uh, theminimalist.com slash children. There's a great book there and also a great essay. Leo has six kids. He and his wife, Eva, have six kids. And so they live as a minimalist family in the, in the city. It's pretty awesome. How do pets fit into a minimalist lifestyle? Well, you can't have any pets as a minimalist. In fact, we're against all fun and all love. <laughs> no, of course. Whatever, man. Have a, have a pet. If, if a pet brings you joy and you and you love having that companion, um, then of course there's nothing wrong with, with having a pet. That's, that's what's cool about minimalism. There are no rules. It's not like you can or cannot have anything. It's, it's really about curating a life for yourself. So if a pet fits into that and the pet food and the chew toy, you know, maybe you only get them one chew toy. I don't know. That's what I did with my cat uh, after the packing party. I remember pulling out like one toy for him and uh, he actually, so this is what's kind of funny. <laughs> he actually played with that one toy that I brought out a lot. And because I didn't have a lot of other uh, toys scattered around, he actually kept track of that one. Whereas before when I had, you know, a million hair breads or uh, not, not hair breads, hair ties or that my girlfriend gave me to, for, for him to play with or uh, 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 little cat balls and jingly cat toys. Uh, he did a really good job of throwing those in places I would never see. Um, so uh, it was funny when I gave him one toy, how well he, he kept track of it. You think about pets are, are minimalist by, by nature. I, I would actually argue that <laughs> human beings are too. We've, we've just gotten confused over the last couple of centuries. Um, I saw a question about DVDs. What do you think about huge DVD collections? I think they suck. Why would we, why would we have a DVD collection? I mean, <laughs> are you going to watch them, keep watching the same movies over and over and over? I mean, this is what I had to say to myself. Ryan, you remember you used to come over to my house when I was back in the corporate world? I had this wall of DVDs. Now, by the way, the word collection, if you look it up in a thesaurus, the Oxford English Dictionary's thesaurus, the synonym for collection is hoard. When I think of hoard, I think of hoarding. So for collecting, often we are hoarding. And so you have to keep that in mind. Plus, by the way, technology has enabled us to, we don't have to own a thousand DVDs. We have hundreds of thousands of movies at our fingertips with the internet and a bunch of different subscription-based services and YouTube, etc. Yeah. I mean, if DVDs are your thing. Yeah. Do they truly serve a purpose? Do they bring you joy? Yeah. All right. If you love the DVDs, great. Uh, I would say the same person who has a record collection. It's, I mean, I, personally, I can't tell the difference in sound quality from a record uh, and, a, and a, an MP3 or an MP4. Uh, some people can, I guess, and that's great. But for me, uh, the, those substitutes work. 
DVDs. What's that? Amen. It's my computer. I don't actually. I don't even own a DVD player. Yeah. Can, it's, can one find ways to integrate passions into everyday life without making a leap of faith? Yeah. I mean, I think. I think acting on faith alone is usually a a bad decision. I think the key is finding something you're passionate about, not passions, but passion, and cultivate it into something that that's meaningful. Don't mistake excitement for passion, though. Mm. Too often we say, I'm really excited about this idea, and we confuse it for being passionate about it. But the problem is when it gets hard, we abandon that idea. We can't abandon the idea. We have to be willing to stick with it through the difficult times, the mundane, the tedious times, the drudgery. We have to drudge through the drudgery. I feel like we're repeating the conversation we had this morning when I was with you and I was writing and you were talking me into drudging through the drudgery. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we met this morning to go through – uh, Ryan's working on on a book right now, and has been for a while. And he's um, like, "I'm not, I'm not feeling it." Like, I'm like, "Man, I want to stop right now. I just, I need to take care of these other things. I've, I've got to, I've got to. I just can't write right now." What did you say? Well, if we we were at like this coffee shop, and I said, "What if you're working behind the counter here?" Or think back to the corporate world. We used to manage these these retail stores. If you were on the sales floor back back in the day. You, you couldn't just say, I'm just really not feeling this right now. I've got a line of customers out the door, but I'm not feeling it. I think I'm going to go work on something else. No, you have to treat your passions like your job. You have to be committed to it. You have to be willing to put in the work because if you don't put in the work, you're never going to get the real payoff. Yes, there are other things that are easier. Passive tasks are easier. Taking care of what's urgent in the moment can be easier, but just because something seems urgent doesn't mean that it's necessarily important. In fact, urgency is often the enemy of meaning. Uh, and mm. so keep that in mind when you're working on something that is truly important to you. Other things might seem urgent, but they may not be as important. What other questions do you have? Describe a minimalist diet. Uh, you can read my exact diet ingredient by ingredient at theminimalists.com slash diet. I have a relatively simple diet. I used to weigh about 80 pounds more than I weigh now, and I needed to simplify my my life uh, when it came to diet and exercise. So you can see both there at our website. I'm a teacher and a student. So my life often feels like paper-laden mess. Thoughts? Yeah, I have a scanning party. Uh, go to theminimalists.com slash scanning. This works especially with photos. I, I know I did it with, with photos, but also with important documents, tax records, etc. You can scan all that stuff. And it does a few things with documents. It makes it searchable. So you no longer have to deal with with uh, I've got this file over here and this file in the attic. No, you can have it all scanned. And if you don't feel like uh, scanning it all yourself, you can go to $1scan.com and they have uh, a bunch of uh, a bunch of resources where you can send them your photos or documents. They'll scan it for you, upload it, and then they actually get rid of the stuff for you. Yeah. They incinerate it. So you can't get the stuff back. It's, it's a pretty cool deal. Were you scared when you left your day job? Well, um, I got laid off kind of strategically, I guess. Um, but I will say that I, I knew it was coming. Uh, I knew it was coming when I sat my office, uh, or I'm sorry, I sat, uh, my, my boss down, uh, in, in my office and I said, Hey, uh, I want to talk about if I ever leave the company, uh, who, who are you going to replace me with? And he kind of looked at me. He's like, you know, I never thought about that. He goes, things are going pretty well. You have things running pretty smoothly. I don't know if I would need to replace you. And I'm like, huh, that's an interesting thought, huh? And next thing you know, uh, next month, I get a text, uh, you know, meet me in room uh, 202 down on the, Nor- the Norwood building, uh, right where uh, Josh and I both have laid off many people before I knew it was coming. But I had prepared up to that point. So a year before that, I had started saving money. I started uh, paring down on my debt. And, and that is really what helped me to get over that fear of, of losing that day job. So when I finally did get laid off, I was at a point where I had dramatically re- reduced my debt. I could have survived uh, on, a, on a barista's salary, essentially. I had moved into an apartment that was 400 bucks a month. I got rid of my car payment. Uh, I got rid of my condo payment. Um, literally got down to where I, I could live off of uh, you know twenty five thousand thirty thousand dollars a year easily, and and that is really what helped me to get over that fear. And it's it's funny because it's such you know uh, simple advice to say well you know just form a plan before you before you uh, leave your job, implementing that plan, sticking to that plan, drudging through the drudgery with that plan. That's the hard part, but the payoff is huge, and you will 
uh, it will help to mitigate that fear. And if you want to see our plan uh, step by step by step to get out of debt and really plan for moving on, you can go to uh, – it's an essay called Financial Freedom. It's a long one, but it is step by step and very detailed. Theminimalists.com slash freedom. And to answer your question, was I scared? Uh, no, I was more scared of staying because I saw the guys who I aspired to be like. And as I got closer, as I climbed that corporate ladder, I realized the guys who I once wanted to be, those guys were fucking miserable. And if I worked really hard for the next 15 to 20 years, I could be just as miserable as them. Josh, what book would you recommend for aspiring writers? Uh, quite a few, uh, but I, I teach a writing class uh, called How to Write Better. You can go to uh, howtowritebetter.org and, and find a bunch of free resources there. And I'm hosting a free online seminar coming up pretty soon. But uh, if I were to recommend one, I'd re- recommend uh, Grammatically Correct by Ann Stillman. That's a great one. Yeah, and so I, th- I would start there, and I've got a bunch of other resources uh, at howtowritebetter.org. Yeah, Grammatically Correct, that is one of the – like. 10 books that I own still. Uh, most of the physical books I own are Someone re- said E.B. White, like, like the uh, Strunk and White. Yeah. Um, uh, the problem with that is a lot of the rules they have in that book, it's a great start, but the rules are, are a bit uh, antiquated uh, and and uh, some of them are actually wrong. Like their thoughts on, on passive tense, they're, they're just wrong. Their examples of passive tense writing aren't actual passive tense writing examples. So, so they, they do a poor job in some areas. I would start with grammatically correct for sure. And then uh, if you're looking for what is called a modern usage dictionary, uh, I recommend uh, Brian Gardner's modern usage dictionary as well. We had a question come up. How do I involve myself with the local minimalist communities if I don't use Facebook? Yeah, so, so what they're talking about is we have 100 free local meetup groups at minimalist.org. That's in eight different countries, and folks meet uh, locally, uh, usually once a month in, in their community, surround themselves with local open-minded people. You don't have to have Facebook to go to those meetups, I and mean, that's a nice thing. They're in-person meetups. If you want to interact with the people online, we have found after testing a bunch of different platforms that Facebook is, is the easiest way for us to have people communicate with each other. The other thing you could do, and we've actually had quite a few readers do this, is you can create your own Facebook account just for minimalist.org yeah. so you can't interact with those people. Yeah, you can totally yeah, you can create it under uh, even under your real name and just block your profile and don't make it public. Yeah. And no one else will know that you're on there. Yeah. Um so a lot of the groups are, are open so you can just log on there and look uh, at the date, if for some reason you come across a closed group where it's requiring you to make a Facebook profile, you don't even want to make that uh, that anonymous Facebook pro- profile, feel free to send me an email. It's ryan at theminimalists.com, and I will tell you when there's a meetup in your local area. I'd be happy to do that for you. So just send me an email, and I'll totally fill you in. What other questions do you have? I saw a lot about clothes. Talk about your cardigan. <laughs> <laughs> No, we keep it simple. You know, it's funny. I literally have this like black T-shirt and blue jean outfit, and uh, it's it's because I really feel good in it, and it's the same outfit I wear every single day. I don't have to wake up and make a million decisions on what I'm going to wear. I don't have to look in the mirror and see how it looks. I don't have clothes that are sitting in my closet with tags on them that one day I might fit into. Uh, I I have uh, simplified my wardrobe to that extent. And what I love about being an adult is it's it's totally cool to wear the same thing every day as long as you don't stink. You know, you got to be respectful of others. But uh, but no, I, I, I have one outfit. I love it. Um, Josh has a pretty standard outfit too. Yeah, you know, someone said, do you think it's harder for women? I have a big problem with clothes. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily. Um, I, I can tell you my partner, you know, she certainly has, has more clothes than I do, but she doesn't struggle with clothes more than I do. In fact, I struggled a lot more with clothes. That was one of my sort of vices, my, my consumer vices back in, in the corporate world. Mm-hmm. And man, I had so I had two walk-in closets full of clothes. Yeah. And and it was unbelievable. Here's here's what I'll say. No, I don't I don't think it genders necessarily. I think society puts more pressure on women, and thus we have more advertisements that are geared toward women's fashion. The average American sees five thousand advertisements a day. That's a million a year, and I'm certain more of the fashion advertisements are about 
women than they are about men. So yes, you're advertised more to it, but the good news is you you can turn that off and you can choose uh, to be more deliberate. Here's the, the rule that I have. I call it the 90-90 rule. Have I worn it in the last 90 days and will I wear it in the next 90 days? If, if it answers no to both of those, then it's got to go. It can't be in my closet. And you can attenuate that a bit if you want. If you want to say it's 30 days, 30 days. The reason mine's 90-90, that accounts for all seasons. You know, we live in Montana, so in July it gets hot here. Mm-hmm. But right now it's January and it's freaking cold. So 90-90 accounts for... 180 days total accounts for all seasons. Yeah. I saw a question. What do you guys get criticized for the most of be, uh, for being the minimalists? Well, I'll tell you, when you call yourselves the minimalists, everything becomes steeped in irony. There's not a very minimal amount of people on this periscope right now. We don't sell a minimal amount of books. Uh, certainly everything we do is steeped in irony. But you know, at the end of the day, I've never heard um, any criticism um, that – that I've taken to heart. Uh, usually it's just someone kind of calling out something ironic, which like I said, everything becomes ironic when you call yourself a minimalist. Well, let's talk about criticism for a minute. For a minute. When, when people are criticizing, there's a such thing as constructive con- criticism. Sure. Like I might send an essay to Ryan and say, tell me what you think about these points and, and I need your feedback. That's constructive criticism. But when people are judging you, mm. really, the, the judgments are but a mirror that reflect the insecurities of the person who's doing the judging. And so it puts up a mirror and says, really, if I'm criticizing you about X, Y, and Z, I'm insecure personally about X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Yeah. And someone just brought up a good point. They said, do you find people who get defensive when you uh, bring up um, uh, topics on minimalism? And yeah, I mean, just to Josh's point of uh, people uh, judging them themselves uh, when they're when, when they're really you know criticizing us it, it is this fear of oh wow here here's someone who is making more deliberate decisions oh man they don't have a tv um man should i have a tv it, it starts to make them ask those questions to themselves and yeah certainly people will get defensive on the tv uh, uh side of things like i have a tv i keep it in the closet i'll take it out uh when me and my girlfriend want to watch a movie or something josh doesn't have a tv and when he wants to watch tv he'll call me up and come over to my house and watch tv uh so yeah there is no again there's no certain way to live a minimalist life um it, it's it's a very individual thing um and and once i can kind of get that through to most people, they usually get a lot less defensive because they're not looking at me like I'm judging them as much as like, oh, here's a guy who's sharing a recipe that works for him and he's just trying to uh, do just that. Share something that is working for him doesn't mean that I have to use every single ingredient of that recipe. Uh, But, but, you know, hopefully there's an ingredient uh, or two there that people can find value in. Speaking of TV, because I saw someone mention it really quickly, um, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't mean there's anything inherently wrong with TV. And there may be a day where I decide, you know, I think a TV would add value to my life. And I've decided to bring it back into my life. I would strongly urge people to get the TV the hell out of your bedroom. You know, the bed is made for two things, and neither of what which includes channel surfing. And, and so, especially for guys here. Guys, this is directed at you. Your wife, significant other, partner, girlfriend boyfriend, whomever, will be a lot happier with you if you decide to get the the TV out of the bedroom for a while. No doubt. Uh, Someone asked us if we had any survival gear. Uh, Are you preppers? We're not preppers. Um, I saw this on Facebook. Someone said, uh, can can a prepper still be a minimalist? Oh, yeah. And I was like, uh, in order to be prepared, one doesn't need to be a prepper. Right. That is true. Um, no, we're not. Uh, we're, I mean, survival. I mean, I snowboard. I have like camping equipment, <laughs> camping equipment um, that, you know, if I'm if I'm going to go off into the woods in Montana for a few days. Um, yes, uh, I certainly have that type of gear. But no, uh, that's that's about to the extent. I mean, I have enough gear to where if I needed to go out somewhere for 10, 10 days, 15 days, I probably have enough enough gear to, to last that. But but yeah, no, besides that, nothing else. Are you still happy with Betterment? Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I use uh, I use Betterment for my retirement. I'm not happy with the stock market last year. I had the worst year since 2008. 
But yeah, I, I invest in index funds. That's what this person's talking about. If you want to see our retirement plan and, and literally my, my retirement account down to the dollar, you can do that over at uh, theminimalists.com slash retire. Yes. We are not, someone was like, what do you think about money? Uh, we are not allergic to money. I mean, money is, is certainly a tool uh, that, that you can use to do some really cool things with. Um, you know, luckily that's kind of our opportunity cost now. I mean, we're not solely focused on money. Um, but, but yeah, we're certainly not allergic to it either. Someone said the market will get better. Yeah, it will. I mean, over time, you know, if you invest in index funds, you're going to get a appreciable, uh, return on that. And you're investing for the long haul. I don't believe in trading stocks or even buying stocks. Um, did you buy a Powerball ticket? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what a waste. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I I find there are practical ways to invest your money, and so we've written pretty extensively about how how we've done that over the years. Yeah, garden. No, I have not gardened yet, but my girlfriend has a green thumb and like grew up. Uh, her mom had uh, her mom and dad had like a seed company, so she grew up gardening, and, and she promised me this spring she was going to help me plant a garden. If you could get a degree, what would you study? The question was. Ooh, physics. I've thought about this, actually. Um, I really, really love science and I love math. And if I had to go back to school, it would probably be for physics or acting. But I, I know I know personal acting coaches who uh, – because, again, that's another hobby that I have that I love. Um, I know personal acting coaches that I could spend less money on and getting better advice. So so I probably wouldn't go to school for that, but I would consider that. But physics for sure, I, I have definitely considered that. What about you? Have you considered going back to school at all? No, hell no. Yeah. So yeah, if I went back to school, it would be it would be for a hobby. It wouldn't be for a living, for sure. Um, you're in the. Someone said they're in the corporate world. How does that mesh with minimalism? You know what? <laughs> Again, there is no perfect template to be a minimalist. I mean, minimalist really, someone said it earlier about, uh, I forget how they rephrase it, but you can call it deliberatism. You can call it, uh, simplicity, you essentialism, can, essentialism, intentionalism, call it whatever you want. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, working in the corporate world, if you're happy, if that aligns with your values and beliefs, cause that's really what minimalism is for me. It's about, it's about curating my life, uh, creating enough time, enough space, enough resources to, uh, really stay in line with my long-term values and beliefs. So all of my short-term actions, I really try to keep in alignment with those long-term values and beliefs. So what I would say is if your corporate job aligns with your long-term values and beliefs, great. Congratulations. You found an awesome corporate job and you're still a minimalist. Like I would say our, uh, our CPA that we have that does our taxes, I would say he's a minimalist. Uh, he works in the corporate world. He freaking loves accounting. The dude mm-hmm. is passionate about accounting. Yes. And I got to tell you, if you pick an accountant, like that's the one you want, the, the guy that's passionate about it. Yeah. Now, but if you're conflicted, if you feel discontent, that's because your values don't align. So your long-term values don't align with your short-term actions. And if that's the case, you've got to get the fuck out of there. And you <laughs> have to have a plan to do it. It doesn't mean, well, you need to quit your job and start a blog. No, you have to figure out a plan. And to get there, again, I'd recommend theminimalists.com slash freedom. There's also another essay in there called uh, Want, Need, Like. And you'll be able to find a link to that in there. I think it's uh, theminimalists.com slash want. Do you guys support zero waste? Or what do you think? No, I don't support zero waste. Um, I, I believe in consuming considerably less and producing considerably less waste. I think it's unrealistic to to think that people will go out of their way to produce zero waste and i don't think our problem is binary it's not zero waste or all waste it's about radically reducing our consumption so that we can produce less waste in the process time management suggestions for working on multiple projects don't work on multiple projects would be my first suggestion you are what you focus on and so uh, I think it's one of the common misconceptions. We think, you know, I'm passionate about five things, so I'll allocate an hour here, hour here, hour here, hour here. I noticed this in the blogging world when we first started. We had friends who were like, yeah, I've got a, a barefoot running blog and a minimalism blog and a tea drinking blog, and here's my Tumblr page. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Why don't you focus on one thing 
and really cultivate that passion. And a book I would recommend to you is, is a book by Cal Newport. It's called So Good They Can't Ignore You. And we did an interview with him over at theminimalists.com slash Cal. And he thinks that follow your passion is shitty advice. And I agree with him. The better advice is cultivate your passion. And we had a nice conversation over there at theminimalists.com slash Cal. You can check that out. Yes. And someone asked about starting a website. We actually have two essays that we wrote, uh, theminimalists.com forward slash blog and the minimalists.com forward slash blogging uh, two really good articles on how to you know start a blog start a website if that's what you're looking to do um, I saw that pop really up. Our, it was our step-by-step recipe because we, yeah. we kept getting so many emails people would say hey I really like what you're doing I like the way your site looks or whatever how do you get people to read your stuff right. and we were tired of like answering these these questions on Twitter or email or whatever over and over and over so we just wrote a step-by-step instruction of how we did it personally. It's our recipe, and you can tweeze out the ingredients that work for you and and hopefully create your own recipe, theminimalists.com slash blog. Yeah. I saw someone ask where they could go to uh, find a – thanks – to find a, uh, a good tips on their wardrobe. Um, the best thing I can think of is uh, Project 333. That's Courtney Carver. And theminimalists.com slash 90. And theminimalists.com – that's 90 spelled out, by the way. And theminimalists.com slash clothes. That one's called the favorite clothes of a minimalist. Yeah. How to end friendships yeah. that are adding value. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so there's a, a essay on our site. I wrote a letter to all of my fake friends from yesteryear. It's called Goodbye Fake Friends. It's theminimalists.com slash fake. And one of the principles I live my life by, the best advice I ever got was from my friend Jamar, who's still a good friend. He said, you can't change the people around you, but you can change the people around you. And I'll let you run that back and think it through. Basically, you can't fix the people in your life. You can try to help them as much as you can, but don't go trying to fix people. Instead, surround yourself with people who are supportive, like-minded, similar values, similar desires. They may be radically different people. If you look at me and you look at Ryan, totally different personalities. You look at us on Myers-Briggs, we are exact opposites, literally. And we have different personalities. We even have different beliefs, but we have similar values. We have many similar interests, different mm-hmm. interests as well, sure. and and similar desires at the end of the day. We both want to contribute to the world. We both want to grow. In fact, that's one of the reasons we started doing the podcast now. We're, we don't think we're very good at it. We don't think we're very good at this either, but it allows us to grow by having these conversations with you. So thank you for giving us the opportunity to do it. What are your Myers-Briggs? I'm an I'm in ENF, wow. ENFP. That was close. I'm an I-N-T-J, uh, I-N-S-J, and so, yeah, pretty close there. For those of you who don't know what a Myers-Briggs is, you can go to theminimalists.com slash alone, and you can learn about my alone time. I spend about 90% of my time alone, by the way. Uh, here's the thing. INTJs are the most rare, but everyone who's an INTJ, because they're so analytical, knows they're a freaking INTJ. Oh, by the way, thank you to, to Sean Harding. He's our podcast producer. He wears many hats here at The Minimalist. He's the guy who's typing up all of these, these uh, links so that you have access, visual access to seeing these links. Why do we love black coffee? Well, I'll tell you why I love black coffee is because once I had really, really good coffee, um, that, that did it for me. I, I didn't want to put cream and sugar in it. Um, I wanted to appreciate the taste. Now, I will say... I was already raised from a very young age to drink black coffee. Like my dad would always say, son, if you're going to put cream and sugar in there, just drink hot chocolate. So I always drank black coffee, but I did switch to sugar and cream as I got older to make it easier to go down. But once I had really, really good coffee, it turns out you don't need that stuff uh, to, to make the coffee go down. Well, uh, a coffee, like anything else, like beer, or any wine, whatever. Um, uh, it is an acquired taste, I would say. Yes. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I much would much rather drink black coffee than cream and sugar. I put cream and sugar in my coffee this morning, but that's because it was kind of, it wasn't that good a coffee. So I did have to put something in there to help it go down, but definitely prefer black coffee for sure. We wrote an essay called, uh, life is an acquired taste. You can go to the minimalists.com slash coffee and it is a metaphor. I think black coffee is a metaphor for the rest of our lives as well. If you simplify, you can enjoy it much more. Much more. And that's that's what I do with my coffee now. I actually enjoy the coffee much more because I don't have it watered down with milk and Splenda and all these other things. Yeah. 
Any advice on getting rid of family heirlooms? Yeah, I mean, sentimental items, it's the most difficult, so don't start there. When I was getting rid of my mother's stuff, when she, she passed away in 2009, that started this whole journey, I went down to, to sort of go through her stuff, and, and I found all of this, these sentimental items, four boxes of my old elementary school paperwork, big antique furniture and paintings and all this stuff, and I, I learned some important lessons there, but some of the most important ones I learned was, first off, our memories aren't in our things. Our memories are inside us, and they always will be. You see, we, we hold on to things thinking that we can access the memories in them, but the memories are, are, are inside us. And so sometimes the things can trigger memories, and so what I did is I took photos of a lot of my mom's old furniture and things I was just going to put in storage anyway. I wasn't going to get any true value from it, but by letting go, I was able to add value to other people's lives. And then, you know what? I went back to Ohio. She was down in Florida at the time. I went back to Ohio with just a few sentimental items. And I get far more value from the few things I held on to if I just have a handful of things, you know, a few boxes of photographs, an old painting, uh, a few doilies from her doily collection, uh, just a few things, then if I were to water those things down with dozens or hundreds of sentimental items that were stored in a storage locker just in case. Those are the, the three most dangerous words in the English language, just in case. But we use those three words to justify everything that we hold on to. So being willing to let go means you're not willing to let go of the memories you're willing to add value to other people's lives who can actually enjoy those things if you're not getting immense value from them anymore. Someone talked about trophies and what do you do with your kids' clippings. You know, those are things that you're probably holding on to because you want your kids to remember that. You know, I would ask your kids, what, what do they really want to hold on to? I don't know if your kids are still in school and living with you or if they're out of the house, but if they're out of the house, um, which is what I'm assuming here, um, I would ask them like, hey, do you want any of this stuff? Because I don't want to hold on to it anymore. Not that you want to get rid of those memories, um, but certainly if you're feeling a lot of weight from all that clutter, uh, then yeah, ask them if they want to hold on to it and maybe they'll grab some. That's what my mom did. She gave me like a bunch of stuff and I literally just, I have like a box full of pictures and everything else she gave me, I just threw out. So... And certainly another uh, another angle, too, is if, if you're holding on to it for your kids, ask them if they even want that stuff. How to minimalist keep up with technology. I would encourage you to go back and listen to the second episode of our podcast, the Minimalist Podcast. It's all about technology. Ultimately, what I would say is we ask this question with our stuff, and then it bleeds over into technology and other areas of our life as, as well. Does this thing add value to my life? Or just does this add value to my life? Mm. There's nothing wrong with, with technology, although it has created some problems. And it's a bit quixotic to think that we can also solve those problems with more technology. And so what we do sometimes is we temporarily deprive ourselves of technology so we can see how, see what's truly adding value to our lives. So I would encourage you to check out that, that podcast. Uh, you can just go to theminimalists.com slash zero zero two that's episode two and a couple essays for you i wrote an essay called most emergencies aren't if you uh, just go to the minimalists.com slash emergencies and then also uh, a minimalist approach to technology that's the minimalists.com slash technology you'll find a bunch of uh, ways that we approach technology and use it more deliberately in mm -hmm. our lives the metaphor there is that that Technology can be like a chainsaw or a paint can. So I'll let you figure out what that means by, by reading the essay. Someone asked about if they're an IT professional, how can they be a minimalist and still keep up with the technology? I'm, I'm going to go back to what I've said probably three times during this, this, uh, spree, or <laughs> this periscope. is uh, Minimalism, there is not one uh, particular set of rules. If you're an IT professional and it's part of your job, and uh, you've got to keep up with that stuff, well, then I guess that's what you're passionate about and that's what you have to keep up with. Um, you know, that's not what Josh or I do. Like I, my phone is, uh, you know, a couple generations old. Um, certainly every time a new phone comes out, someone asked about, uh, do we still struggle with anything? Yeah, certainly when a new phone comes out, when that iPhone 6 came out, I'm like, oh man, iPhone 6, that's cool. It's it's a bigger screen and and man, my contract's up and I could probably afford that now and I'm not, I might just upgrade it. And then I look into what it does and for me, it didn't do anything extra than what my phone does now. So I decided not to get it. Now there's probably someone on here who could be like, iPhone 6 is awesome because it does X, Y, and Z, better camera, whatever else. But at the end of the day, that stuff wasn't going to add value to my life, so I didn't upgrade.
Yeah, and, and someone just asked, do you guys own your homes or do you rent them? Uh, we, we both rent, but what I'll tell you is the reason that, that I rent is because I don't want to go into debt. I can't afford to pay cash for a home right now. And I per, my personal belief, after being in massive amounts of debt, I, I used to make great money. I had a high six-figure income, but I had massive amounts of debt. I had I spent more money than I made. Even though I was making good money, I spent even better money. And that equation just does not work. And so I rent now uh, because I believe that there is no such thing as good debt. I'm going to repeat that in all caps locks here. Uh, there is no such thing as good debt. Now, some of you are going to say, but a mortgage is an, is, is an investment. Well, first off, purchasing a house is not an investment. Most economists are going to tell you purchasing a house is not an investment. But I'll say that there's nothing wrong with purchasing a house. It is a purchase, not an investment. And, and, and so you can own a home and still feel great about it. If I were absolutely pinned against the wall, I had to get a mortgage, I would make sure I got a mortgage that wasn't longer than a, a seven-year fixed mortgage right. and, and for something I can afford. There are only two countries on earth that have a 30-year fixed mortgage, us and Denmark, and that is it. No one else, this whole idea of, of having a house and paying for it for the rest of your life, that is a new concept. So I just... I've, I've, I've decided to rent right now, and then I save money. And if one day I do want to purchase a house, and you can actually see this with my retirement plan at theminimalists.com/retirement, um, you you can find uh, exactly how I'm saving money for the future. And part of that is owning a home and being able to either pay for that outright or having such a, a significant down payment that I don't have to worry about being trapped by debt and being overwhelmed by debt. There's no such thing as good debt. Now, there's better debt than other debts. I'd rather have a mortgage than a payday loan at the corner liquor store, but it doesn't mean either one of them are good. If there was a such thing as good debt, then you would be trying to get more and more and more good debt, right? No, some debt's better than others, though. Yeah. Someone says, I hate debt, blah. Yeah, me too. I spent the first 31 years of my life in some for form of debt. Uh, I wrote uh, about that in our book, Everything That Remains, about getting out of debt and, and finally breaking that cycle. You can read an excerpt at theminimalists.com slash debt. There's an essay there called Debt Free. Yes. Uh, I saw two questions. What about tiny houses? Yeah, I mean, tiny houses are are awesome if that's if that's what someone is into. I mean, I don't own a tiny home. Josh doesn't own a tiny home. Um, but it's certainly, you know, I'm open to doing that later in life if that's what suits me. But yeah, right now, I mean, I'm not uh, heading even close down down that path. But I think it is an awesome solution for, for a lot of people. I mean, tiny homes, uh, we, we, we had an interview with Tammy Struble uh, in, in her tiny home. And literally, it is the most beautiful home I have ever been in. It's also the smallest home I've ever been in. <laughs> uh, but it, it was done so deliberately and it was done so well. Um, that it, it didn't really uh, feel like I was in a tiny home. So yeah, th those are certainly um, great solutions. Someone asked about how we contribute to society. Oh, great we, question. Yeah, yeah, we've done a lot. We've uh, raised money to build schools. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, we, we believe that the the meaning of life is uh, is growth and contribution. You know, giving is is living, and and so. We have found ways to contribute beyond ourselves in a meaningful way. I think the biggest way that we contribute is with our work now, whether it's our blog or books or podcasts, being able to, to give that to the world. But we try to do a bunch of other philanthropic things as well. In fact, 2015, last year, it was a year of contribution for us. We built uh, wells in Malawi, so, so clean water wells, providing water to people who would otherwise die because they didn't have access to clean water. What a terrible problem that is in, in certain parts of the world where people don't even have access to water. We, we were able to, thanks to our readers as well, and people helping us contribute, we were able to fund a, or build a, a school in, in Laos. Uh, and Ryan actually just attended the grand opening ceremony for that. It was it was amazing. It was, yeah, being able to contribute to all those all elementary school kids. I could literally win the one the one billion dollar jackpot, and that would not make me feel as good as when I was there with with those kids opening up that school. Uh, giving is living, absolutely, and we do as much of it as we can. And then we got the orphanage right now. Well, yeah, well, I mean, even before that, we we funded a high school in, oh, yeah. in Uganda for a year because. Uh, there was an opportunity to do that, you know, with, with about $15,000, we were able to fund an entire high school. And that's quite often the reason we, we go to other parts of the world when we can to contribute, 
because it isn't just about focusing locally. It's great if we can, and we do a lot of stuff locally, whether it's with homeless shelters or food banks or Habitat for Humanity. Those are all ways to contribute. But $15,000 in the United States will fund about one student for a year. And in some cities, not even one student. But we could fund an entire high school and set up special programs to help the students fund themselves in the future in Uganda. So it was self-sustaining in a way. And then right now we have, uh, we're building an orphanage, a family-style orphanage. It's a new concept with our friends over at the Hope Effect. And you can still contribute that to that if, if you'd like till the end of this month. Ryan gave his birthday toward the end of last year, his 34th birthday. Instead of getting birthday gifts, he was asking for people to help us build this orphanage. And you can still contribute to that. In fact, that's why we're going to St. Petersburg later this month to have three caffeinated days with the minimalists. It's a charity event. All money and tips, all profits raised will be used to to uh, fund this orphanage. If you want to help, it's theminimalists.com slash hope. It's funny when I thought about vacation before this, I would always think to myself, "Oh, where where would I? Where's my dream vacation? Paris, Rome, Australia." And after visiting a third world country, that's where my mind's at now. What other third world countries can I visit and actually get a real taste of what life is like? I'm telling you, if you need a change in perspective, if you need uh, go, I mean, go to Mexico. Uh, there's there's a lot of third world places, uh, a lot of places down there um, uh, that that will give you the same feeling. But but yeah, um, third world countries is, is certainly a, it's a great perspective to have. There's no doubt about that. Someone said, do you think it's advisable to live in a place that is uh, not that expensive? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's funny. I love the city of San Francisco, and I know we're we're, we're sort of location independent now, mm-hmm. which, which is a weird term. But we for, we moved out to Montana. It's actually slightly more expensive than Dayton, Ohio, which is where we're, we're from uh, in terms of of the housing prices. But the cost of living otherwise is is relatively low in in Montana. And and I looked at San Francisco when we were first going around. I'm like. What the apartment I had in Dayton, Ohio was $575 a month. In San Francisco, the same apartment in the city was $4,000 a month. And I'm like, well, I don't think that's for me. Uh, I can't afford that. And so, yeah, it's advisable to pare down your bills, your expenses, so you're not tied to a particular lifestyle that forces you to do things that are outside your values. Is there anything you know that doesn't go with your values that you struggle with quitting doing? Yeah, I I think you asked that question before, and I was talking about like upgrading my phone. Is there anything that you struggle with? No, I mean no, because I've aligned my my values with my actions. Uh, If I struggle with anything, it's things that are are passive distractions, Mm. right? And and so whether it's you know incessantly scrolling through Insta- Instagram or watching TV. It's the reason I don't have a TV right now. Or or doing things that are just passive, getting stuck in that Bermuda Triangle. It's the reason I don't have internet at home. And you can read about that experience. I do a bunch of experiments. Getting rid of internet at home for a month is something I did. And it was the most productive month of my life. So you can go to theminimalists.com slash internet. And I wrote all about that that whole experience. I've gotten rid of my TV and cell phone and other things for periods of time. And you can read about those experiments at our website as well. Yes. Um, Have you ever struggled with addiction? Yes, yeah. I'm addicted to, to so much. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, – well, actually, it's funny because there was a question um, someone asked before about does minimalism help with depression or anxiety? And what I'll tell you is that I was at a certain point in my life where I was so anxious and so stressed out that I pacified myself with a lot of drugs and alcohol. And I was very, very, very hooked, uh, especially on, on, on uh, drugs. And what I can tell you is that when I started to simplify my life, when I started to make more deliberate decisions, when I started to take an inventory, not just of my stuff, but of the people I was hanging around, the way I was spending my time, the way I was using my resources, once I was able to get the clutter out of the way, to make room for what was truly important, it certainly did help me to focus on getting over that addiction. And I went and got help. And I don't want to underplay that at all because um, anyone who's addicted to anything is so, so – addiction is – it is – I would not wish the pain that I went through on my worst enemy. It was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do in my life. Um, but I can certainly tell you that minimalism uh, definitely helped me to get the clutter out of the way, to make it so – I wasn't so stressed out. I, I, I did have less stress. I did have not just less, but a lot less stress. I had a lot less anxiety once I got rid of 
uh, all that looming debt, once I uh, started to get a grip on my real life, once I started to uh, uh, not have to work 60, 70, 80 hours a week, all of that um, certainly did help uh, with, with me having less stress, less anxiety, and, and, and ultimately overcoming that addiction. Would you say that, that maybe surrounding yourself with different people who are a better influence on oh, that process too? Yeah, no, I mean, that's, it's, it's funny, yeah, because people um, several times have asked about, you know, how to get rid of friends or whatever else. And, and yeah, I ultimately had to go to my friends and say, Hey, you know how I usually meet you here on, you know, Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursday nights for happy hour. And we sit here and we drink ourselves silly. And then we uh, go do a bunch of drugs. I'm not going to be hanging out with you anymore. Uh, because if I was to put myself in that situation, I would probably go right back to it. And when I think about the connection that I had, um, with with uh, the particular person in mind that I'm thinking about right now, that's the only connection we had. Like if we were sober hanging out with each other, it would have been it would have been horrible. Yeah, and the only thing I would add to that is our material possessions are a physical manifestation of what's going on inside. Minimalism starts with the stuff, but once we get that excess out of the way, we start clearing that, we're able to start dealing with what's going on inside. So mm -hmm. if that's anxiety, if it's depression, if it's overwhelm, if it's stress, if it's discontent, if it's worry, we're able to start dealing with those emotions. And at first it's kind of ugly because we actually have to deal with it. Right. And so it's not fun at first, but it's worth it because it's about living a meaningful life, not a perfect life. Our lives certainly aren't perfect, but yeah. they're much better. They're much simpler. And they're much more meaningful than what they were in the past. Yeah. Someone asked about, do we meditate? Yeah, I meditate for five minutes a day, sometimes 10. I use a great app called the Headspace app uh, that encourages me to do it for 10 to 20. And we interviewed several amazing meditators for our documentary, uh, Minimalism, a documentary about the important things that comes out in theaters this May. If you want to check out a great book, about meditation for regular people so it's not all wooey and spiritual and, and all those other things but for regular guys and gals you know i would check out dan harris's book called 10 percent happier we did an interview with him on our website theminimalists.com slash dan check that out was i skeptical skeptical when i first saw josh starting to minimize i will say i didn't know what was going on because he never really came out and said oh well i'm practicing this thing called minimalism um, it took me a few months of watching him get happier, get less stress it is, is really when I uh, wanted to go to him and ask him like, you know, why the hell are you so happy? But I will tell you the, the first memory I have of, of realizing something different was going on is when him and his wife split up, he moved into his own apartment. And, um, of course, you know, he helps me, he calls me, uh, to help him move. We always joked around like, uh, this was like season five of Ryan and Josh move heavy things. Cause like, I'm the, I'm like his go-to guy when he needs heavy things move. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was, so it was season five of that and we were moving into his new apartment and he didn't have a lot of stuff. And I was like, Oh, like, Oh, he must be, he must be going and, and, and getting some more stuff later that he's going to help me move in. And then I remember going to his home, you know, two or three weeks later, there was nothing new there. And I remember thinking, there's no TV. Like he had a TV stand, uh, or not a TV stand, but a TV mount, um, that came with like the apartment that was on the wall, but no TV <laughs> on it. And I, I kept asking him, I'm like, dude, are you going to get a TV? When are you going to get a TV? Yeah, like what's wrong with you? Right. And he never came out and said, no, I'm a minimalist. I'm not good at TV. Uh, he just simply said like, no man, like I'm, I'm trying to do things a little bit differently and I'm not quite sure if I'm going to get a TV or not. And maybe I will, maybe I won't. But, uh, right now TV isn't necessary for me, so I'm not going to get it. So, so yeah, I don't want to say I was skeptical as much as just kind of confused as to why Josh was all of a sudden uh, eschewing some of these these things. I will tell you, I was asked um, by some of our uh, counterparts uh, if Josh was uh, depressed or if he was going to kill himself because that's like the first sign of when someone's going to kill themselves when they give everything Isn't that away. Sad? Yeah, it's so sad. That, that, that we've turned consumerism into a sign that you're not suicidal. Yeah. When in, in essence, you're suicidal so you go buy a lot of stuff or you're, you're reaching the suicidal, suicidally depressed point. So you're trying to fill this void with stuff, more stuff and more stuff. Speaking of stuff, someone said, do you still read paper books? 
And and my answer to that is, yeah, I still read paper books. I go to the library all, all the time, and I'll check out books there. Uh, or I'll buy physical paper books. I prefer reading on the Kindle, and th- th- there's a few reasons for that. One is I used to own 2,000 books. You can read about my experience of getting rid of 2,000 books and actually reading more. If you go to theminimalists.com slash reading, I had so many books because I thought it made me look smart. You come over to my house, like, look at all these books I might read one day and some distant, hypothetical, non-existent future. But the only books I tend to hold on to now are reference books. Mm. So I have a a small, very well-curated collection because I've learned that the value is in the words, not the physical artifact itself. And plus with the Kindle, I don't know if you've ever tried to move 2,000 books, but I tried to and I threw out my back. I have a terrible back already. It's much easier to move 2,000 books if they're stored on a Kindle as opposed to a, an entire library of books. And by the way, if you support us by, by, by getting any of our books, there's a few ways you can do that. You can do the ebook. You can also go to your local library and check it out. If they don't have it, they can usually order it, mm-hmm. and you don't have to pay any money for it that way. And so we're not out here trying to hawk a bunch of books. No. But what we're trying to do is add value to your life. And I know that a lot of books have changed my life. And thankfully, we've been able to write some books that have changed other people's lives as well. If you buy a paper copy of our book, minimize it afterwards. Yeah, find someone else who can get value from it and and be willing to let it go. Someone asked me, what do I think about alcohol? Um, Or I don't know if they're asking us in general. Uh, I I, I drink still. Um, I don't drink to get drunk. Um, I... We'll to- I will go on hiatuses where um, if I do feel like it's becoming a crutch or something that I'm looking at as a pacifier, then um, you know I will totally do a ghost over October in May <laughs> if, if I have to. Um, my girlfriend and I, uh, we, we do a really good job of of kind of uh, keeping each other in check with like the moderation. And like I said, if it starts to get to a point where we're like, ah, maybe we should go a little bit without drinking, that's what we do. But I certainly don't rely on it as a crunch anymore. Josh is a raging alcoholic though. <laughs> <laughs> I've, uh, I, I've never, uh, I've never drunk in my life. And, and the reason that I don't is, is my mother had really, really bad problems with alcoholism. And I, I realized that I am, am prone to impulsive, compulsive behaviors and I I certainly have an addictive personality and so I prefer to be addicted to something that allows me to still be a functioning member of of society, like writing. So uh, that's that's my <laughs> my addiction. Yeah, I know. Way to not be a cliche writer and be a waste a drunk. Yeah, wasting well, you, your life. You never see me again. Right. No, I, I'll tell you. I've known Josh uh, since we were fat little fifth graders. I've never seen him take a sip of alcohol or, or a hit of a cigarette or anything. Most straight edge guy explains a lot, actually. <laughs> the, the last question here was: uh, Did uh, did minimalism change your social media participation? And, and so, yeah, we use a bunch of different platforms now. And we talked about this on the technology episode of the Minimalists podcast. You can go back and listen to that as number two. But I'll, I'll sum it up like this: Is yeah, whenever we're using something, whether it's Pinterest or Facebook. Uh, or Twitter or Instagram, we're constantly asking this question, is this going to add value to the world? You'll never see us post a picture picture of our breakfast or of cats or, or whatever because we don't think that serves the greater good necessarily. We're not judging other people who do, but we prefer to only use it in a way that contributes to the world beyond us. Josh, do you remember a time when we used to actually have to take like a regular film picture of our food you'd like go to like and you you like just the wind-up camera right exactly and then you yeah. have to go get that developed mm-hmm. and then and then i'd, I'd go to like walgreens or right something. right or, or, or where we lived it was four seasons video remember that right right and then yeah. we would go to each other's house and we would show each other pictures of food no we never did that no one ever did that <laughs> Well, everyone, thank you for your time today. We really appreciate it. We hope to see you next Tuesday. In the meantime, you can interact with with us on social media, on Facebook.com slash The Minimalists. Twitter, we're at The Minimalists. Instagram, at The Minimalists. And if we leave you with just one bit of advice, one message from this whole broadcast, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. See you guys. Have a good one. Thanks for your time.
Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Every little thing that you gotta have Every little thing that you gotta have You gotta reach for and you gotta grab Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it So tear your eyes away Or tear 